If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien with Nicole Braddock Bromley. And joining us today, a very good friend of One Voice. Her name is Shanta Thomas. We are thrilled today to be talking with a woman who I've met just over the internet simply because she's an amazing woman, a survivor, and also leading a ministry that is using my books as support groups for other women going through their healing journeys. And it's just been so cool to meet so many of you listeners over uh, Facebook and just different social media and then also at the events. But to be able to really connect um, with survivors who are also leaders in this mission and then this ministry of, of helping survivors find their voice has been so cool. So welcome, Shanta. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, um, it's just a real blessing to be able to hear other people's stories. And I was really hoping that you could maybe even just start by sharing a little bit about what you've gone through. I know that so often we talk about sexual abuse related to, you know, for me, it was my stepdad. And for so many people, for um, Mary, you know, it was a step-grandfather. And so often it's people that's close to us. And a lot of times it's a caregiver. But it's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And I know, Shanta, that your heart is to dispel the myths that surround who often is the perpetrator. Because it's not always the caretaker or a family member. Sometimes it's a peer. Sometimes it's a distant relative. And Sometimes it's someone that's your very own age. And so could you please just share a little bit of your background and and your story and and how you kind of feel comfortable sharing your story with those who are listening? Yeah, sure. I started uh, experiencing sexual assault when I was very young, about four or five years old. And all of my assaults were by peers of mine. Um, It wasn't anyone who was a caregiver or who was older Um, So if you're talking about I'm four or five, this person was um, five or six. So they were just slightly older than me. Mm -hmm. And um, the one experience I'm going to tell you guys about, which is the one that has been the most difficult for me, um, I was about 10 years old and I was playing with some um, friends and and some of my cousins. And what I didn't know at that time was some of the people that I had been playing with had been um, sexually assaulted before. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were outdoors just playing um, hide and go seek. But as a lot of kids do, we were playing um, like games like house and things like that, which are basically like games where they're sexual exploration games that kids play. Um, and we were introduced a lot um, by those things because of these kids who had been affected by sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Um, and to us, we were just playing games. Well, that game as dangerous as it is, you don't recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it turned into something even worse when um, during the course of that, I was actually raped by um, my cousin. Mm-hmm. And um, he wasn't much older than me. Um, and he was about a year older than me. And that experience really transformed 
my life. It wasn't mm-hmm. the first sexual assault, but um, this was this was the first time I'd ever been raped, and um, I had assaults even after that. But for me, this one experience was something that um, was the most devastating. I think part of that was after it occurred, and I walked home, and I remember just crying. And he he called me later, and when he called me, he starts going into the experience and I I didn't really have words to say and what ultimately ended up happening was I was punished and he was punished um, because the adults found out what occurred but because I didn't have a voice to say you know no this happened to me I I didn't I wasn't included in this Mm -hmm. you know I didn't do this on my own free will I learned that speaking up wasn't a good thing that's Mm -hmm. what it taught me yeah and so I lived with that for many many years And so at that point in time, you know, now you're internalizing the experience of even telling and, and, and being made to feel like you were a part of it. Right. And that creates lies that you carry into adulthood. Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of lies do you feel like that, that carried into adulthood for you? I think that's so common for so many of us. For me, it, um, it, it carried so many stigmas for me. It, it taught me to not have a voice. And to not speak up because mm-hmm. when you speak up, you you still get in trouble. You know, I, I actually couldn't even speak up. He was like he was speaking up for me. Yeah. And yeah. I just kind of stood there. I couldn't say anything. And so it taught me to just be quiet. Mm-hmm. It made me feel bad about myself. It made me feel that sex was a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And that is probably one of the biggest issues. I still deal with that at mm-hmm. times. Um, you know, with my spouse, it's gotten a lot better. But that has probably been the biggest issue that it taught me that sex is a bad thing because not only did I have this experience, but then I got in trouble for this experience. I got in Mm -hmm. trouble for it, you know, and I always tied sex to rape. To me, they were the same things in my head. And I really had to dispel that myth that choosing to have sex with somebody is not the same thing as being raped. And so figuring that out and separating the two of those in my head was a difficult thing to do. Well, and it it kind of sounds like your cousin was putting words in your mouth also. And I think a lot of times abusers are good at that. They oftentimes use the term we, you know, if, if we are doing this, then we are both at fault. And I think that you didn't even have an opportunity to say, no, 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 this wasn't we, this was him. Yes, I agree. That's exactly, that's exactly what happened. I didn't have a voice to do that. And I didn't have an advocate to say, you know, hold on, let's let's dig into this a little bit deeper. Let's talk about it some. So that's the one thing I'm really happy about because the more I found my voice, those around me, I'm finding that they're finding their voices. Mm-hmm. And if situations come up, it's not just, well, that happened. I'm finding more and more people are stopping to say, okay, let's really dig in and figure out what actually happened. And let's be a support and let's be an advocate. And that is just a blessing to me because I never thought I would be able to ever share because I never had a voice on this topic. That is amazing. And really, that's the point of this whole ministry. So I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I'm thinking for those who are listening that might have, you know, been in that same place where they felt like they didn't have a voice, but now they're slowly finding it. You know, maybe they've read my books or they've been listening to the podcast and now they're starting to kind of come out with with their stories and, and begin their healing journeys. And maybe they're now to a point where you once were, where you're like, this isn't just for me. This is for others. I want other people to go through this too and to, to find their voices and how can I be used? And so what was it for you that was a turning point for saying, I'm going to, I'm going to start leading one of these groups with Nicole's books and I'm going to see if I, how I can gather other survivors together and, and help them to find their voice. Like I have too. For me, it probably started about 
10 years ago, not too long after my husband and I got married, we started having a lot of problems. A lot of things began to surface. And um, he was just like, you know, we need to go to counseling because I don't know what's going on with you, but something's kind of off. You know, let's let's try and go and explore this and so we can work out what's going on. And I had a wonderful counselor who ended up, she was a Christian, but she also was a survivor. And so as he began to explain things like giving me a hug from behind or touching my back or different things that would cause me to explode or like jump out of my skin or like yell at him after he did it, because what it was doing was creating triggers that I hadn't really dealt with. Um, as he explained that, she picked up on it. Mm-hmm. And so she said, we, we need to sit down and kind of talk about this and help you get through this. And I kind of was going to her on and off, but I got to a place after I had my second son where I was very suicidal. And um, I remember one night my husband was downstairs with the two kids, and my youngest at the time was only four months. And I was just at the point where I felt like I couldn't do it anymore. I felt like I wasn't being the wife I needed to be because I couldn't. There was so much I couldn't do because it was wrapped up in this abuse that I felt like I couldn't get over the hurdle of. Mm -hmm. And I was there and I was like, you know, Lord, I can't do this again. I can't go. I can't wake up tomorrow dealing with these flashbacks. I can't wake up tomorrow not being able to really interact with my kids because I'm in this place mentally and this is like the one thing that all day, every day, it's just a monkey on my back. Mm, yeah. I can't get it off. I can't shake it. And I said, I can't wake up tomorrow dealing with this. And so I thought about, okay, how am I going to do this in this room? It was getting dark um, by myself. And um, I was just thinking about ways I could take my own life. And I just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit enter that room. And I felt like the Lord was sitting right beside me. Mm. And he was just holding me, and he said, you know, if you trust me, I will bring you through it. And I said, I, you know, I don't understand. I've tried everything. And he said, you've tried everything in your strength, but you haven't tried everything in my strength. So if you allow me to go with you, and if you follow me, and, and when it gets hard, I would always stop. He was like, if you press through that um, and, and just rely on me, allow me to be your strength in this weakness, mm-hmm. I will bring you through. And um, I I'm, I'm like Nicole. I was also a former athlete. So it's like I've kind of relied on that of, okay, I know this is hard, but I'm going to push through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like I drew from that strength. And I said, okay, God, I will do it. But if I don't see any changes in a week or two, I'm going to be right back here. But the end result is going to be different. <laughs> and I took 30 days, and I started just doing exactly what the Lord told me. I got up at 5 a.m. every morning. He would have certain scriptures I would read, and he would, and I would pray. And he would just give me so much. And there were times I, you know, didn't do exactly what he was calling me to do. But for the most part, I stuck to it. And at the end of that, I got this book. And the book was called Hush. And it was a book my husband had given me years before about sexual assault. And I never read it. Hmm. And I said, I'm going to read this book. The Lord took me to the point at the end of this 30 days. He was like, I I want you to read this book. And I read your entire book in one day. (laughs) Wow. I, I just read the entire book in one day. And when I got done... I can't explain the type of freedom that I felt. Mm. I can't explain it. I felt so free for the first time ever. Mm. The flashback, I wasn't having the flashbacks all day, every day, like I was before. And there was just freedom. Mm. And so fast forward this past year, I'm still walking in my freedom. And the Lord just placed on my heart two things. One was he wanted me to um, start this class. 
And the other was he wanted me to start going to counseling. And I think both of those things were important because the counseling I needed. I did not recognize all that I was going to deal with in teaching the class. Um, and <laughs> right. I needed that counseling. Yeah. So I, I had started the counseling just before the class started. Mm-hmm. And I was so afraid to start the class. I was just so afraid the enemy was just hitting me from every side mm-hmm. and doing everything it could to not start this class. But <laughs> I knew there was a great need. So I pressed through and I said, you know, Good I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it for the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I am so glad I did. I am so glad <laughs> I did. So I have to thank you for your book because my, like I said, my husband found it first, but it was <laughs> such a blessing to me. It was the last key piece and me gaining my freedom. You know, the enemy still tries to bring thoughts of suicide and things like that. He is the enemy. He's going to do what he does. But mm-hmm. I would tell you from that time to this, I've never actually considered suicide. He might bring the thought, but just as quickly as he sends it, I push that right back. Mm-hmm. And it's never even been a thought in my mind again. That's true healing through through Jesus Christ. Wow. And so I'm so grateful for him, but I'm so also grateful for your book. Mm. Wow, that's it's so incredibly encouraging, Shanta. I didn't even know all of that story. So it's really cool to hear that. And it's funny how often I... I'm told by other survivors, you know, your book sat on my shelf for how long I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to open it up, but then finally did. And it was exactly what, you know, that missing piece or whatever that that God was going to use to to get me to a new level of freedom or just to be able to find my voice for the first time. And it's, yeah. it's just funny how often that happens. I know we are all on our own journeys and it's whenever we're ready and God knows that and yeah. he sits on that shelf with it and watches and waits and you know he's always there ready to pursue when we're willing to take that one step so um that's really really cool and i admire your courage to not only break free from that and break through the strongholds and the barriers and the and the fears um for your own healing but to do it for these other women um you know we all need women to stand in the gap and be willing to step up to the plate and say, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about this stuff. And you've been willing to do that. And I think that that's amazing. And uh, frankly, I think it's very important for women of color to do that. You know, yeah. how often yes. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so <laughs> glad you said that. But go ahead. <laughs> well, and I would love for you to elaborate on that if you're comfortable. But just, you know, in my travels and in my speaking, I found that to be such a huge secret in the black community and the Latino yes, community. It it's yes, you know, it it's it's hard for white women to come forward, but but talking about You know, in those specific communities, I think it's such a huge secret and it's something that's happening in so many families. It is. It's the big monkey in the room and everybody knows, but everybody's silent on the issue. But it destroys. I've seen it destroy men. I've seen it destroy women. I've seen it destroy so many people. And um, it is a huge thing in the black community. It is a huge thing in the Hispanic community. But we we don't talk about it. And when you do talk about it, and you you do do, talk about it, you know, it changes the culture. It does. And one thing I can say is since I've begun to find my voice, I have talked to other women who have gone to counseling. They may never come to my class. They may never come and talk to me directly about it, but they are going to counseling. 
and they're starting to deal with it, mm-hmm. and they're starting to see that, oh, so there was someone else who was able to get through this. Um, there was someone else who was able to, you know, find freedom from this. What does that look like? And sometimes women will come and talk to me, but a lot of them just kind of go and get their own counseling and things. But it's breaking down barriers, and I see the changes in women around me. I see them change as far as attitude and just all sorts of things. And it's really, and when I talk to them later, I find out that, oh, you went to counseling? Oh, you went and got some help? And we never really have to talk about the sexual assault. If they're if they're not ready, I don't try and push people. But I'm seeing that just because being a person who says, I'm willing to stand up and take a stand, and I'll show that I was able to heal, they're doing it too. And so it's such a blessing. But it's one of those things, when I first started speaking, everyone was coming out of the woodwork and don't don't mention me. Don't mention what you know about me. Don't mention what you know about me. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to make the family look bad. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you know, that's what I was getting. But there was this one woman who was in her 80s. She was an older black woman. Someone else had told her that I was going to be speaking. And um, I just, I went by to see her one day and she said, yeah, so I hear you're going to be speaking and sharing your story. And she never said your story about sexual assault, but I knew she knew. I said, yes. She said, I think that's a good thing. Because if I had said something, I think it wouldn't have happened to so many people around me. And that has done something for my heart. That This mm. was in 2011. That has done something for my heart from then to now. Aww. It's one of the things that keeps pushing me because you find so many people, especially like you said, in this community who do not want to talk about it. They don't want you to bring it up, especially if you know if it has to deal with your family. They don't want you to talk about it that it was a family member. They don't want, they don't want you to say anything. Right. They don't even want you to talk about it if you don't know their experience. They just don't want it brought up. Mm-hmm. And so to hear someone say, I wish I had done it because it could have helped someone else sticks with me. And so no matter what, sometimes I feel like I'm not going to go. I don't want to go speak. And I don't want to, you know, you get in that place sometimes, but I still do it because <laughs> she's right. When we share, it really does stop it from continuing. If we don't, I see it happen the next generation and the next generation. It keeps happening until someone takes a stand in, in that family. Someone has to take a stand. Exactly. And I so, always say keeping sexual abuse a secret won't make it stop. Sweeping it under it the rug won't. won't keep us safe. We do. Shanta, we have to talk about it in order to allow healing for those who've gone through yep. it and to prevent yep. more kids from being hurt. We have to get this topic out in the open and it's going to take us yep. survivors finding our voice, finding the courage to speak out and to not be ashamed because it's not our shame to carry. So I'm so glad that you found that not only for your own health and your own relationships, but for those who are around you in your community. Yeah. I, I just thank the Lord. Cause I never, like I said, thought in a million years I would be doing this, but that's exactly what people say. They just want you, they feel like if they ignore it, it'll go away. And the other thing I hear often, especially when it's peer to peer is that it's not really abuse because they were just a kid. And so it almost tells the victim, you, you don't have a right to be, hurt by this. You don't have a right to have been negatively impacted by it. You don't have a right to do that because they were just kids. And I understand that they are just kids. And I don't think you vilify a kid because kids don't really know what they're doing. At some point, there was an adult that affected one, a kid. And that trickled down and trickled down and trickled down and got to this kid or, you know, however it happened. That's how it gets introduced to kids. So, and then kids just reenact what they experience. Right. And so I don't vilify the kids, but I also allow the survivor to 
the ability to, you know, deal with that hurt or deal with that pain and say, you know, yeah, I was affected by this and it's okay that I was affected by this. And I still have to walk that healing journey, even though it wasn't an adult. That journey is still the same if you don't deal with it. And the sooner a person deals with it, especially a child, the better. But um, mm-hmm. a lot of times kids aren't given that space to do that. Most right. parents, most well, people especially just ignore it. if it's perpetrated by another child, because people don't Absolutely. know what to do with that. They don't. They don't know what to do. One of the things that's so important is not only does that child that's been affected need an advocate and someone to stand in the gap and say, you know, to make sure that they're okay, but that child who has affected the other child yes. also needs an advocate. Exactly. They also need an advocate. And so many times they don't get an advocate. Mm-hmm. So many times people are so upset yeah. at the other kid that they're, you know, you shouldn't have done this. Mm-hmm. And they scold the child and are angry with the child, but you got to find out the underlying, yeah. where did that come Why? from? Yeah. Kids How would they have learned that. this? Where did this come from? Like, let's where get beneath the from? surface and deal with yes. the issue that happened first, which was the fact that they were yes. abused by somebody else, most likely. And I think it's also yes. true that, that you both need an advocate and they need to be Absolutely. different advocates. Yes, I agree. I'm not going to say it cannot be, but I do think, I do believe that it does need to be two different people advocating for, for those children. The best person would be the parent, but unfortunately, it's not always no. the case. I've, I've met so many people where, you know, one of the two parents, the one parent is mad at the other ch- parent because your child has done this to my child. And, right. or, you know, whatever the case is, but they're not both getting advocates. Right. And, and, and as you've led the SOAR groups and used the videos that um, we've put out to start the, the groups with, you've probably seen my friend Raquel talk about the fact mm-hmm. that she was abused by her cousins and mm-hmm. she went home and told her family and they kind of swept it under the rug. And so, you yes. know, what what do you recommend in that situation? Because you've got a family that wants to stay together. And if yes. someone believes this child that's going to mean a family's going to be torn apart, you know? And mm-hmm. obviously I think that's fine because we have to talk about this stuff and hopefully through the healing journey, we can all come back together if there's repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. Yes. But even if there's not, it's still worth it to believe the child. I agree. I think, I think the, re- the repentance and the prayer and all those things do have to cover. You have to have somebody who's, advocating for the family from that perspective, who's praying and advocating, covering that family, all sides in prayer. But you're right. You're going to, at least in the beginning, you're going to have that tension. And the prayer is that the Lord can heal and reconcile. But if he can't, these kids need help. And so he, these would be the things I would say. Number one, you've got to hear the child that has told. You, get the, you have to stop and really listen to what they're saying. And you do not ever want to get angry with the child, whether they were the perpetrator or the survivor. You don't want to get angry with them. You want to somehow convey the message, okay, that you've received it, and then you want to take the next steps and what you need to do. If it's a child, you are almost all states, you're obligated to report it to the police. That is a difficult one to have to report that to the police. But if you know a child who has been sexually assaulted, you are obligated. I'm in New Jersey. You are obligated to have to go and report it. Now, whether or not you want to take it to the next step where they do the interviews and they send out child study, Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of that depends on the age of the kids. If they're a little older, like a teen or closer to 18, that type of thing, um, they're going to do that automatically. But usually if it's like a really young kid, like in my case, 
um, they kind of leave it up to the person who's bringing it, you're obligated to do it. So you need at least get that on file, and you got to talk to the parents. you got to talk to the other parents. That's really difficult to do, but if you're the parent whose child was affected, you have to talk to the other parent and say, hey, Mm-hmm. My child told me that this occurred. Right. You've got to sit down, and that's a very difficult conversation mm-hmm. to have. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it's not received well. But if that other parent is not being receptive to what you're saying, this is really my opinion, then I say you should definitely, when you report it, go the full steps to get the child study team and those types of groups involved so they could try and get that child counseling and those things that they need because some parents aren't going to do it. There's something going on with that child, and they need to find out what that is. And then another thing I think is really important, tell the child, you know, you did a good job. And if you're the parent, apologize to them for maybe missing it, for maybe missing the signs. You want them to know that you're on their side. Mm -hmm. You want them to know that you support them Mm -hmm. and that you're not angry with them. And they have to understand that, yeah, I might have to go and tell the police, or you may have to go and speak to the police and They're always concerned. The kids are usually concerned that the other kid is going to get in trouble. That's their biggest concern. I don't want to get such and such in in trouble. Um, And you have to kind of explain it the best way you can. You know, you're not going to get them in trouble. You think that they may be in a harmful situation. And so you want to try and get them help because what they did wasn't okay. Whatever way that you can kind of explain it to them, do so. But uh, that's what their biggest concern is going to be. I'm going to get this other kid in in trouble. Yeah. you did a great job for coming and telling mommy. I, I really appreciate you telling mommy. And then, you know, if you got to cry, go do those things away from the child, mm-hmm. if possible. Mm-hmm. So because they internalize, you know, I made mommy sad. They internalize, I, oh, I made I made my auntie angry because I told on my cousin. Oh, you know, yeah. that's, that's they internalize that stuff, and it sits with them. So as much as you can keep that kind of stuff away from them, it's great. And you just want to praise them and say, you did good. If they need counseling... In some cases, a counselor will say, right now, I don't suggest counseling because we don't want to magnify the situation. It depends on what the situation was. And so you want to kind of talk to a counselor before you take the child so you have an idea of whether or not they think you should go to counseling or do they think you should just do some things at home working with the child so they can kind of settle their mind and spirit. They have to work through it. The sooner a child works through it, the better they're going to be. Then they're not going to deal with some of the things like what I dealt with and holding it for 20 years and feeling mm, sore. Yeah. They're not going to deal with those things if you deal with it early on. Shanta, um, those, I am hard. so incredibly proud of you. And um, it's just amazing to see your willingness to allow God to work through you and um, the obstacles and barriers you've been up against. And earlier when you were talking about just not having a voice when you were younger, and I just think about little Shanta and how I was when I was a little girl and I've grew for her as an adult and in in my most recent counseling in the past few months I've had to work on loving on the little Mary me too yeah it's so funny yeah and you've got to get that ice cream or I you know drive the car with the windows down and your hair's flapping all around whatever it is Mm -hmm. that makes your heart feel alive and feel like that little girl again who is free I think it's so important to do that and I know for little Mary and little Shanta and little Nicole they would all be so proud of the women that we are today and what we're willing to do for other kids and other survivors who deserve to be loved on and deserve to have their freedom as well and to have their voice heard. So it just is so encouraging and inspiring to me chatting with you today. Awesome. Well, well, thank you guys. I can't thank you guys enough giving me the opportunity, Nicole, for writing these books, for bringing a voice to um, this topic of sexual assault and 
just the women that I see, God breaking barriers. I, there are other women from the class who are going out. They're speaking. They're telling their stories. Mm, wow. They are healing. It is a blessing. What you do is a blessing, and it has mm-hmm. touched so many women, mm-hmm. um, and not just women, the men in our lives, too. Yeah. It, it's touched my husband. It's blessed my husband. And I, too, just like Mary, had to recently start counseling and um, counseling again it broke down so many barriers that I didn't even realize I still had up. And so Mm. you guys are a blessing in what you do. (laughs) You have no idea how many people you guys are affecting. I get comments all the time. I share your podcast and everything and I get so much feedback from women. So Mm -hmm. thank you guys for what you do. You guys are really a blessing. Well, thanks. That certainly keeps us going and we need to hear that. But you know what? It's just about that ripple effect. And I'm so glad that, you know, you've been affected and now you're affecting others and now they're going out and sharing their stories. And this is really what culture change looks like. And it's awesome to kind of come together as one voice on this and and we will see a difference in the next generation i truly believe that so thank you shanta for your time today for your story your grace your courage and um just your continued fight um for others around you so we hope you have a great day thank you so much thank shanta. you thank you guys you have a great day <laughs> bye shanta We're so glad you're here. We're super excited next time to chat with Hannah Estabrook. She's a therapist and abolitionist serving victims of sexual abuse and human trafficking. We'll dive into the effects of abuse and how it impacts our identity. And we have one little favor to ask. Please go to iTunes. You can rate us there. And that helps us reach more and more people healing from sexual abuse.